Today we're talking all about how to find the right people to do your customer research on before you even have a product yet. We're going to talk about where you find them, how you engage with them, how you learn from them, and how eventually you can convert them into customers. We've got our expert with us today, Tim Chong, who's the CEO and founder of Yonder. It's now a modern lifestyle credit card packed with rewards, but that's not how it started. And you're going to find out about that journey throughout this episode. I hope you enjoy. Tim, you've obviously now grown Yonder significantly. You've worked at many different companies. And one of the things that is funny for a lot of people is that they see the growth of where you are today. But obviously, you have to start from somewhere. And you had to get the first people on board who just had an idea. How did you get that very first customer? Yeah, I think I, I'll even go back even further. Is How do you find the customers to do customer discovery? So everyone's read books like Lean Startup, uh, the, you know, the, the Seven Steps to Epiphany. Uh, they're always about go and find customers, go and talk to them, find out their customer problems and things like that. But I think often people don't go through the detail of it, like, how do you even find them? And especially when you've exhausted all your friends. Um, and so um, one of the things that we found really hard in the early days was like, how do you find those like people who are willing to speak to you at this really early stage, but aren't just your friends? Because the problem with your friends is that uh, no one wants to call your baby ugly. So they're always going to say your product's great. They're not going to give you really candid feedback, things like that. And so we spent a lot of time at the early days thinking hard about both the customer discovery in terms of trying to understand like consumer problems and finding people. But then also secondly, how do you keep finding new participants to test your product idea with so you don't keep going to the same people over and over again? Um, so there's like, like really tactical things that we we found that really helpful. And, and a lot of it was just like, just hustle. So for example, our target customers were expats who had moved to London for jobs or career. And so the two ways I did it was like, I just found random Facebook forums and then joined them. So whether it was like South Africans in London, Malaysians in London, Aussies in London, Kiwis in London, and I'll just kind of like lurk there and say, hey, uh, I'm an Australian who's moved over to London. I'm working on a startup idea. I'd love to chat to people. If you're free, fill out this type form, I'll give you like, you know, 10 pound Amazon voucher for your time. And I'll go to like Reddit and said, hey, I've got this idea. I should just say an idea. I said, I want to talk to someone. I, I was doing a university research project and I want to find people to speak to who look like this. Can you fill out the survey and uh, let me know if you're willing to chat with me? And I really focus on being scrappy. So, you know, WhatsApp groups as well. I would like join a WhatsApp group and say, hey, I want to speak to some people about this space or problem area. Would you be willing to speak to me? And I'll give you some like money for your time, basically. And I think that the thing that people often go to is they jump to like the marketing research agency who will find audiences. The problem I have with that is that a lot of the people who sign up for these market research lists aren't the customers you actually want to speak to. So, you know, if you, if you are spending all your spare time doing like these surveys and customer interviews, you may not actually be the kind of customer I want to speak to. Most of the customers I want to speak to aren't on those market research mailing lists. And so therefore you have to go out and find them. You mentioned there, so and it's the change there because you said about how if you post in these groups, like I've got a startup, I'm looking to do that. Then I was wondering if you get a bounce back from like admins of those groups, for example, right? And when you're looking into getting into these groups, did you just join as a member and just try to fit in? Or did you try to talk to maybe some of the admins? 
and see if they would promote it for you or help you out in that regard? Like what kind of tactic did you take there? So I definitely just joined. I did not ask for permission. I think that's the general rule in startup. Don't ask for permission. I, I didn't go there trying to sell a product. And that was the key thing. It was, I'm doing a survey. I'm doing some research. I'd love to get some help and I'll pay you for it. And people are generally fine with those things because I would say like on the internet, people love giving their opinion. So actually that's quite easy. People, it's really, really easy actually to just get involved in those communities. I think also WhatsApp groups as well. Um, the trick that worked really well for us was that helped us get like the first 20 people to interview. And it wasn't a huge sample size, but those first 20 then allows you to get more. So we had this, this, this one question we asked at the end of every single customer interview and said, hey, is there someone that you know that you think we should speak to and could you introduce us to them? And generally, they would always have one to two people who were probably a very similar segment to them. And so essentially, I kind of joke, we're building this little multi-level marketing, but for customer research. And, and that was like just such a nice way to go and find them because I think you have this cold start problem where oftentimes it's like, you should be speaking to your customers all the time. It's like, well, I don't have a product yet. I don't have any customers. Where do I even find these customers to speak to? Now, now for us, it's so much easier. We have a customer base. We've got a Slack community. Getting participants for user research is super easy. But in the early days, you have no customers, you have no product, you have no network, no community. You need to start somewhere. And what we found was that a lot of these early people we interviewed became the backbone for our early community as well. And with those questions you ask these people as well, what, how did that actually impact the product you're making? So were the insights that you got from these people, like what were some of the outcomes of that? So we pivoted our product quite a bit. When we first started Yonder, uh, when it wasn't called Yonder, it was called Simple. It was a terrible name. And it was initially targeting customers or people who have moved to the UK who don't have a credit file. So people who have a thin file or they might have a full credit file back from their home country but have moved over, don't have a credit file. And people who didn't have a thick credit file because they've just started full-time work, for example. And the thesis behind it was around access. It was around the fact that you couldn't get access to any other products and therefore we're providing a product that you can access. What we learned really quickly there as we're doing the customer um, discovery process was that firstly, access is okay, but people wanted more than that. Uh, we also found that if you sort of explore the problem space a bit more, it wasn't just access, it was the really slick sort of Monzo type experience that people wanted. They also wanted to better travel and get benefits while they're traveling. They also want to get rewards. They were also very lonely when they moved. They also wanted to know where to go. And so we started to really go, wow, the problem space is actually a lot bigger than just access. What do we just play around in this concept and say, well, what if it's more than just access, but it's around exploration? What if it's around being an adventure, being a tourist in your own city? Um, what do we start to really explore this problem space? And then I still remember one, one customer interview we did where they said to me, hey, why is this a product just for expats? And we're like, oh, yeah, like this isn't just an expat product. This, this works for anyone who love to explore in their city as well. And it doesn't just have to be 22-year-olds. There are like 45-year-olds who want to explore the city. Actually, the persona are people who want to explore. It's less about age demographic. And I think that's the other trap as well. Traditional sort of market segmentation is around age, demographic, data, things like that. But, you know, I found 25-year-olds who don't want to go out at all. They just want to stay at home and read books. And actually, Yonder doesn't work for them. And I've met 50-year-olds who are like, I love to go and explore new restaurants and explore the city as well. And we realized that 
actually building just around demographic wasn't the right way, but really thinking about this underlying, like I say, like jobs to be done, like that you get really excited about and go, okay, that's how we think about our segmentation or, or who is our ideal customer for Yonder as well. I think one of the interesting things too is because obviously you're solving the problem that you face yourself. And that can obviously make it really difficult because you've got such passion about what your beliefs are and then to get the customer research and to try and diversify that opinion, right? And I guess many other founders, they have a similar thing of where they are initially the ideal customer profile. And it's kind of challenging some of those beliefs. And how did you find that experience trial, for example, the expat side of things, where you were so passionate about solving this problem for expats and then being open to pivoting and changing? Did you find that process difficult or how did you kind of keep the checks and balances in there to make sure that your biases didn't come into play? I think the way I describe early product building is like called gold prospecting. So you kind of like need to have a thesis of like, hey, I'm going to go move to Ballarat in Australia because I think there's going to be a gold rush. So then you go there, right? So you know there's goals, you know there's something there. And the way I described it was I knew there was something there, but I didn't know exactly what it looked like. And then like prospecting, you're kind of like, you know, experimenting, trying things, like, oh, it's not really working, I might try another spot. Let me try again. And the way I describe it is like you kind of have to have a bit of flexibility on the, hey, I'm in the right land, I'm in the right city, but like the specific spot on the river might not be the right spot. So like I need to be flexible on that. And so I think in in, in our case, we were pretty convicted on the core problem space of like we want to solve this for young people moving to a new city. We realized that young people moving to a new city could actually be someone moving from Manchester when there's a university to London or moving from Newcastle to Edinburgh. That's still a movement. So we still wanted to solve that problem space. We still also wanted to solve something in the fintech space as well. But we were flexible on the exact solution. And I think there's a really hard balance. Uh, I always think, kind of think about this, this, this concept of like, when do you give up? When do you pivot versus iterate? So hard because what's really frustrating startup was you have to keep pivoting. It's like, yeah, but if you pivot too much, you like lose... The, like the kernel of your idea as well. And so I think that there is this really hard balance. We spent a lot of time asking ourselves the question, when do we pivot? When do we iterate? And the best description someone explained this to me was iterating is keeping the market, like the customer segment and problem, but changing the solution. Pivoting is finding an entirely new segment of people. You should probably iterate a lot in terms of your solution to basically what your product would look like to solve the customer problems and your segment. But you don't want to be pivoting too much. And actually, I think some of the early stage founders I see, I kind of, I describe it as a spinning problem where they just like keep pivoting and they don't pick a problem and they don't go deep long enough to find the right solution. And this is not perfect, but sort of my, my general like framework I use is that you probably want to stay with the same segment at least for six to 12 months before you pivot. Because people don't give it enough time iterating the solution to find the right product for that segment. And you might eventually find that there is no product you can build or the product that people want for that segment, you just can't build and therefore then you need to pivot. But don't pivot too early. That's another really, really interesting insight. It's like you need to pivot. You don't want to take too long to pivot, but you also don't want to pivot too early. And founders who pivot like every week are like, man, you, you haven't given it enough time. Like you haven't. I kind of call it like marinated on the problem space. You haven't marinated on the segment long enough to really like live and breathe the problem and build conviction around the problem space 
to go and find the right solution because you keep pivoting too much. Uh, but on the flip side, you know, if you've given it a year, you've really grinded it out, you've tried everything and you can't find like that, I just kind of like eureka moment, like there's something here, then I think you then need to pivot and find a new segment, find a new problem statement, find a new set of consumer problems to solve or, or B2B problems to solve. And like speaking of time there as well, how much time do you spend on the research phase before you try to start converting people? Like what's, what did you find in your experience was a good amount of time to spend just researching, learning before trying to put potential products in front of these people? I think we, I think we probably spent about two, one, one, one to two months doing it. Um, and then just straight to product. And then we would go back and forth though. I think that the, the fallacy is like research problem, solution, prototype, launch. Like that is not how it works. Like what it works, like research, problem space, solutions, mm, go back to problem space, do some more like customer discovery, then go back to like user testing and like proposition testing and then back and forth. And we, we kind of went back and forth multiple times. I think I would say though, is like you want to try and get someone to buy your product as soon as possible. The best signal for whether you have a product that people want is will they put money on the table. And we found a really useful technique that I hopefully if other people would find useful was I think the classic would you so what do you think about this product or would you sign up for this product is crap because the problem is is most people are really nice to you and like I said people don't want to say your baby's ugly so they generally will say oh yeah and you're gonna think you get that really like oh yeah I, I sign up right and that's that really let's call it um non-committal purchase and those are always really bad signal the signal that we were looking for was like people were like jumping out of the seat to sign up like or buy it right now and, but the problem is how do you get that and because the tricky thing is you don't want to just index over people who are quite like expressive participants because then you know the, the getting excited to sign up now well some people i just don't have that demeanor where they ever get excited so then that's not going to work so what we did was really really interesting it was two questions we tried one of them worked okay the second one we worked even better the first question we asked was said would you sign up right now like, not would you sign up ever, it's would you sign up right now? And there's this psychological effect where people will always overstate what they'll do in the future. Would you go to the gym next Friday? Yeah, sure, I will. But actually, it's like, will you go right now is a very different question. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, I need to make that decision right now. And, and we realized that bringing that decision process like right earlier to be like, would you do that right now forces a different sort of cognitive process for someone to really think about, would I really get this product? Because actually, most things you would say, you know, would you do a marathon? Yeah, I'll do a marathon one day. But actually, the question is, when you do it one day, is would you do it today? Um, now, that worked to an, to an extent. The, the challenge you have is some products are just more considered purchases. So we built a consumer fintech product that would do a credit check. And so people were like, mm, yeah, I need to think about that a bit more. But at least you start to get a better signal. And, you know, if you're doing enterprise SaaS, you might find that people need a bit longer to think about it before they would make a purchase. The second thing we asked instead was, do you have any questions for us before we finish up? And what we found is that if they weren't interested, they would have no questions. If they were interested, they would ask this question, hey, is this available right now? How can I find out more to sign up? And that was like, oh, they've intrigued enough to say, I want to learn more. And they've actively said, how do I find out more and learn more? We didn't, we didn't say, 
would you be interested in learning more? We would just be like, do you have any questions for us? And, and, and here's, a, here's a rule of thumb. If they say, well, good luck, that's how you know they are not interested at all. Uh, and that was for us. We used a signal where we had 50% of participants asked us at the end of the interview, is this available now? How do I sign up? That was our rule of thumb test that we were onto something. It's interesting as well because I think one of the interesting things when you describe a product to somebody as well is how well they understand and what they say back to you, for example. So let's say they ask a question at the end and they ask a question that's totally irrelevant to your product. Then that gives you feedback as well in terms of how well the messaging is around it. Did you find that you had to iterate the messaging around what exactly the product was a lot as well? Yeah, so we tried doing things, which is very classic, which is like landing page testing. So we mocked up a website and then used that as a way to do proposition testing. Now, there were a couple of problems with that. The first problem is we weren't sure whether we were testing how good the website design was or the actual underlying product itself and it also meant that if we were pivoting the proposition a lot, and every week we were pivoting, like I say, not pivoting, iterating the, the, the proposition, it was actually a lot of work to redesign the website every single month, like every single week completely to like fit the proposition. So actually, we found a different technique, which was we I, I had this sort of idea, which was rather than we're trying to test two things at the moment at the same time, which is very confusing. You're trying to test website design, like a marketing messaging, and you're trying to test, is this product any good? And actually, that muddles your data. So then I had another question which says, if someone had perfect understanding of our product, so ignoring the, the, the marketing side, which is still important, but let's ignore that for a moment, they had perfect understanding of our product, would they still be interested in our product? So how do we do that? We literally just got a Notion page, and it was a document describing the product in a lot of detail. Right? It was a bit of like marketing messaging, and then it was about the, you know, the features and things like that. Now, this is not how you design a website, not, not how you design a landing page. What we're trying to say is if you understood our product completely, so we're not trying to test our marketing communication, we're just trying to test, let's say I could like transplant my mind into your mind, would you still be interested? And so what we would do is we give the customers about two to three minutes to read the document and then ask them, what stood out to you? Can you describe this in your own words? And we'll take away the document and say, how would you describe this in your own words? And what they gave us was the ability, one, to talk about our product in human language. Uh, Tom and our team from marketing always talks about in these early days, like how do people talk about Yonder at the pub? Not how do they talk about it on the landing page, you know, Slack, where work where work happens. Like no one says that at the pub. You're like, hey, Amadeep, you should try Slack. It's where work happens. It's like marketing like fluff. It's like actually how do they really talk about your product? Like Slack is a really cool chat software. It makes it really easy to like chat to my colleagues. Great. That's what it really is, chat software. Um, and then secondly, it allows to eliminate the problem of, you know, marketing messaging because that's actually, a, it takes a while to build out as well and refine as well. And so what we did was the first stage was let's just do testing and get to that, let's call it that 50% threshold with just a Notion page. And the good thing about Notion is you can literally update the proposition in like five minutes. It's very easy. You can just go in there and like type it out. And then... Once we were happy with that, we then converted to a landing page and then it became about the landing page design, landing page messaging, the value prop, things like that. But we found that if you try to do too many things at the same time, it would make it really hard to get signal because you're, you're almost like testing too many variables at the same time. And it was really hard to know what's, what's impacting what. Like, is this performing well because their website looks really nice or is it because of the underlying product itself? 
you know, or is it performing badly because the underlying product itself, or is it because we didn't do a great job in the landing page? Yeah, and you mentioned there about the pivot you made as well. I'm just interested to see, like, when you said, obviously, you said at the beginning you tried to get into Kiwis in London and Aussies in London. Once you realize it's actually more of an exploration group, how did you change your tactics in terms of then finding new people to do the research with? Uh, well, the good thing is we had a lot of bits in the team. So we said, can we ask your friends and then get them to ask their friends? So sort of same technique as well, but just this very classic, like, find with, find, start with your friends and family just to get you going. Don't trust the data. Don't trust what they say because they're going to be too nice to you. Although, you know, it's not too bad if you're just focusing on consumer problems, but then ask them to introduce you to someone else and then get them to introduce you to someone else. And all of a sudden you've got like this, this network where actually you're far enough away from your direct sort of first, um, you know, your first degree separation where the, the data is actually start to get more useful. Because actually if it's a friend of a friend, you don't mind being a little bit more honest. You don't mind being a little bit more blunt anyway. We're going to wrap up soon. Have you got any other points you want to make about this area that you think are really important? I think that you should make it a goal to speak to at least 10 customers a week and find every scrappy way to get them. And don't be afraid to just like hustle the recruitment. I think people get trapped by the, oh, I don't have a market research agency. Oh, I don't have budget. Oh, I don't have money to pay them. Like, just start with something. And we made the, the incentives really low. And then we increased it when we started to run out of participants. I think secondly, don't pivot too early. Like give yourself enough time to prove out properly because a week isn't long enough to prove out whether that problem space is good enough. And then thirdly, it's gold prospecting, right? So just keep trying new places. Like don't like have conviction on the space you're in, but have the flexibility to move around and try new spots because you know there's gold there you just got to find the right spot to get it so thank you so much for coming on today tim if people want to learn more about you more about yonder where should they go to so you can go to www.yonder.com and you can find me on linkedin tim chong uh one of the co-founders and ceo of yonder so uh, i'm available there and feel free to dm me if you have any questions 